Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilar series. For those of you tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast series jointly held by the Gastroenterology and Hepatology Advanced Practice Providers and the Rheumatology Advanced Practice Providers, where we delve into the intricacies and innovations surrounding biosimilars, guiding you through their complex landscape. I am your dedicated host, Amanda Mixon. Apart from being at the helm of some of these enlightening discussions, I also proudly serve as the president of RAP. It's always an honor to bring the brightest minds to our platform, and today is no exception. Joining us for this episode is the remarkable Naomi Amidala. With her wealth of experience and knowledge, she's the perfect guest to help us unpack a concept that may not be familiar to many, but holds significant implications in the realm of patient care, the nocebo effect. Naomi, would you mind giving us an introduction? Sure, Amanda. Thanks so much for inviting me onto this podcast today. Uh, so as Amanda said, my name is Naomi Amudala. I'm a nurse practitioner and I work at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I've been in rheumatology for uh, 14 years. I'm also on the board of directors at RAP, uh, where I've been there since 2022. I've been listening to the other episodes and they've they've been great, honestly. I've learned so much and I think doing this deep dive into biosimilars has been so useful. Oh, good. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. It's been really fun being the host of this. I've actually learned a ton and I'm so excited to have you as a guest. You truly are one of the smartest people I know. And so it's just such an honor to have you here. Today, we're not just scratching the surface. We're going to dive deep into defining the nocebo effect, exploring its nuances and understanding its notable impact. As we navigate through research, we'll uncover how the nocebo effect specifically influences the world of biosimilars. And lastly, we'll conclude by discuss discussing practical strategies to combat and navigate this intriguing phenomenon. So whether you're on your morning commute, taking a midday break, or winding down in the evening, we invite you to settle in and join us on this educational journey. Let's dive into the intricacies and impl implications of the nocebo effect. All right, Naomi, I think the best way to start off the podcast is to define the nocebo effect. Can you provide our listeners with a definition to kick things off? I totally agree, Amanda. So we've all heard of the placebo effect, but the no nocebo effect is not something that is talked about as often. So I like to think of the nocebo effect as the counterpart to the better known placebo effect. We all know that the placebo effect describes a patient's experience of improvement in symptoms because of their belief that the treatment works, even if the treatment is inert. So the nocebo effect describes the phenomenon where negative expectations or beliefs about a treatment lead to the exacerbation of symptoms or the manifestation of adverse effects. The nocebo effect arises from a few factors. So those include uh, negative suggestions or warnings about potential side effects, maybe past negative experiences with similar treatments. Uh, sometimes patients hear or read about negative outcomes or side effects experienced by others. And then there's also fear or anxiety associated with the treatment or disease itself. The nocebo effect, it is a complex phenomenon and it's not fully understood. 
However, it's important for us as healthcare providers to be aware of this, especially when it comes to educating our patients about biosimilars before we switch them from a reference biologic drug. Wow, what a great definition. I'm, I'm, that really makes sense to me. And I think if I'm hearing you correctly, one could boil the nocebo effect down to when a patient's negative perception of a therapy causes a treatment to have a worse outcome than would otherwise be accepted, or excuse me, expected. Is that correct? Yeah, Amanda. No, I think that's a great distillation of what the nocebo effect is. Okay, so the nocebo effect is a relatively newer term. From an evidence-based standpoint, is there much data available on it? So, yeah, although it is a newer concept, as you mentioned, there is definitely some data out there on the nocebo effect from peer-reviewed journals. Uh, one study that always comes to mind demonstrating the nocebo effect is by Twee Hewson and colleagues, and they investigated the reasons for discontinuation of a biosimilar infliximab uh, in patients who have ankylosing spondylitis and who had previously been treated with reference infliximab. So they did an open-label, non-mandatory transition study, which means that the patients knew that they were going to be transitioning to the biosimilar infliximab, but they weren't required to do so. They had 103 patients in the study, and of those, 21.4% uh, discontinued biosimilar infliximab within 18 months of switching. And the most common reasons that they gave actually were subjective complaints. They uh, reported fatigue, headache, muscle aches. They also um, stopped the med because they felt like the drug had lost eff efficacy. Uh, they reported adverse events, and it also was um, due to patient preference. So the authors of the study concluded that the subjective complaints, possibly explained by the nocebo effect, are the most common reason for discontinuation of biosimilar infliximab in patients with ankylosing spondylitis who have been previously treated with reference infliximab. So interesting that the nocebo effect has such a, an impact on patients in that study. You know, now that we've identified the nocebo effect as a real problem, what can we do about it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm glad you asked that, Amanda. There is some data available, fortunately, that uh, helps us to make decisions on how to best mitigate the nocebo effect. So in their ACR abstract, Georgson and colleagues explored the significance of communication strategies in avoiding the nocebo effect when patients transition from an originator product to its biosimilar counterpart. So the researchers utilized the Parker model to conduct a three-step qualitative research study to explore the impact of performing a non-medical switch from reference etanercept to a biosimilar. And they concluded that clear communication about the logistics must be provided. And in order to preserve patient engagement and empowerment, patients transitioned to a biosimilar must have ample opportunity to ask relevant questions. Furthermore, Smolin and colleagues support this idea. Uh, they stated to avoid contributing to the nocebo effect, it is very important that clinicians carefully consider how they communicate with their patients and make an effort to frame communications in a positive context. And that was published in a recent publication. Wow, thank you. I mean, I, I think it's really important for our, our listeners to understand that this, that, you know, nocebo effect is very, it's a very real 
well-studied phenomenon to grasp, grasp, and that it will be important to address this in the context of biosimilars. I mean, I've, I have to say, when when we first, you know, started using biosimilars really in the infusion space, I actually think that I I've experienced this with some patients, and I don't know that I was equipped to really know what to do. Um, I mean, the simple answer at that point was just, you know, change them back. Um, but, you know, I think that now that we have this information, I think we need to, you know, understand it and, and learn how to communicate with our patients so that we can, you know, kind of be able to combat this, this potential issue. I, I agree. And it's, it's a problem, or I guess it's a happy problem, right, that we have all of these options in the biosimilars, but it's something that's not going to be going away. So us ignoring this is not going to solve the problem. So I agree with you, we need to be better equipped to communicate with our patients and educate them so that they can be empowered to make these decisions and feel comfortable with it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as APPs, which I think a lot of the listeners are APPs, I think we're really good at this. And so, you know, I, I see this as being, you know, again, kind of another win for, for APPs, um, particularly as we transition to a lot more of the sub-Q agents. And again, to your point, they're not going away. I think it's a wonderful thing that we're going to have so many agents for patients. Uh, and we just have to be equipped and understand how and, and how to deal with this. So, you know, now, you know, in that we reviewed, um, in that review, you addressed some ways to combat the nocebo effect when initiating a biosimilar. Chiefly communication, which promotes patient engagement and empowerment. I think that's a good time to shift our attention and talk more about the practical aspects and key takeaway take messages. That said, you know, why don't we talk about some of this? So, you know, how how can healthcare providers address common misconceptions or fears about biosimilars that might contribute to the nocebo effect? Oh, that's a good question. I, I've been thinking about this. So my thought is, is it's best to address it directly with the patient. I think sometimes when we say, do you have any questions and they don't say anything, we think everything's fine and the plan is going to go according to what we think should happen. But sometimes they're not saying anything because they, they haven't thought of it, their fears, they haven't processed it. Maybe they don't want to make us upset. So I think it's helpful to direct address this directly with the patient. You know, what concerns do you have about switching to a biosimilar? Do you have any concerns? Have you read anything that makes you anxious about making that switch. And then if they say no, well, then I think you've done your due diligence. But if they say yes, then you're, I think you're kind of um, tackling the problem head on and, and maybe educating them and meeting them where they are in a way so that, the, that they feel comfortable proceeding with the biosimilar. I feel like I know the answer to this question, but how crucial is the role of clear and effective communication between healthcare providers and patients in preventing the onset of the nocebo effect? Yeah, I think that's a leading question. I <laughs> I think it's something you already kind of mentioned earlier on, but I agree with, which is that as APPs, this is where we really excel. Clear and effective communication. This is the foundation of good patient care. And I, I, I think we do a great job using terminology that patients understand and, and having um, 
kind of a, an approach where they feel comfortable asking questions and, and reassuring them that there is there are no dumb questions. So I think, you know, when we're talking with them, we give them the information, we, we give it to them at a level that they can understand. I think it's also important to set expectations that we think the patient's gonna do well by switching to this drug. And, and they should have essentially the same experience that they had when they were taking the reference drug. Hey, you know, I can't agree more with you. I think, you know, it's so important that we have a level of confidence when we're talking to patients because I just, you know, they're looking for us for advice. I mean, and and again, now more recently, you know, I am switching patients, you know, for, to one sub Q to another sub Q. I think we all probably know which one I'm talking about, but, you know, and I, and I think, you know, they're asking me, in fact, I had a patient message just last week and she said, do you think I'm going to do okay with this change? Because it, it's a change that's being, you know, mandated by the insurance. And I s- responded, yes, I think you're going to do just fine. And okay. I think just us letting patients know that, that we hear their concerns, we understand their concerns, but that we really do think things are going to be okay. Um, but also saying, you know, if it's not, let me know, talk to me, you know, because I think that's important. This level of communication that we have with our patients, I think is crucial. Um, so that, you know, they don't either stop the medication and then not tell us or, you know, and and so that they, you know, have the ability to feel comfortable with this, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And I think, again, having a good relationship with them going into the conversation also helps that they, they trust you and they trust your judgment and that you really are kind of looking out for them and you want the best for them. Absolutely. Now, you know, in what ways can can patient education empower individuals to make informed decisions about their treatment, especially when transitioning to a biosimilar? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's almost answering the question within that answer. Um, The more patients know, the more comfortable they're going to feel. So if we just tell them something and then kind of say, because I said so, that's not reassuring. Nobody's going to want to do that. But I think if we explain what a biosimilar is, we explain why we feel comfortable making that that change, um, that should give them a comfort level. But then also it is empowering because they're not just blindly following us. They're understanding the data and then they're making a decision based on that data, hopefully a good decision based on that data. So it, it sounds cliched, but it's really true that that education and knowledge really is empowering for our patients. Absolutely. I mean, it's really all about helping our patients be advocates for themselves. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you know, they, they don't want to just trust everything that we, they look for us to be confident and know the data, but then we also need to give them the tools to also be able to help themselves and understand their disease as well as their treatments. I think that when patients understand those things, I think they do better. I think that they are more apt to stay on their therapies. um, And, and also again, let us know when something isn't going well or they're not doing well, et cetera. I think, I think it's just really important to, to have that, that communication really be open and, 
and, and helping our patients. Uh, I think, you know, a good way to end might be to ask you a question that I have asked every guest on this series, because I do think it's an important one. And I want to get the multiple perspectives from both GI and rheumatology APPs. What is the most frequent question that you get from patients about biosimilars? And then how do you answer it? So actually, this came up yesterday, I was in clinic, and uh, we mentioned we wanted to start a patient on a on a biologic and then said, but you, you may actually get the biosimilar and that's fine. And the patient just gave me a blank look and said, what is a biosimilar? So I think that's the question I get most often. Um, I think the term biosimilar is just one that's, that's not really been socialized yet outside of the uh, healthcare field and patients don't really understand what it is. What I've found is that patients are very familiar with a generic medication versus a brand name medication. And so I try to kind of use similar terminology when I'm explaining what a biosimilar is. And so basically what I try to tell them is that it, a biosimilar is a biologic drug. It's very similar in structure and efficacy uh, compared to the reference or originator drug. And um, really it, it should do the exact same thing in controlling your disease with um, the same safety profile um, again, just having that conversation with them, not making assumptions that they know what a biosimilar is or even what a biologic drug is. I, I think um, taking the time to, to educate them. And, and as you just said, Amanda, making sure they feel comfortable with the plan and, and making sure they understand why the plan is the way it is. Because often I'll find, you know, patients will say, yes, I'll do it. Then they go home, they start thinking about things, maybe they, they're not comfortable and they decide not to start the medication. And you don't know until they come back three months later. And at that point, you've already lost um, all that time and the disease has progressed. So taking the time, that extra 10 minutes to educate, to talk with them, make sure that they really feel comfortable with the plan. That's just so important. You can't, you, you can't put enough emphasis on that. Absolutely. I think that was a, a wonderful answer. And I think it also helps us in terms of, you know, how we might talk to our patients uh, when we get asked that question. And, and I love that you said we shouldn't assume that they know what a biosimilar is. I mean, I have to be honest. I mean, but prior to, you know, being the host of this podcast, I mean, I had heard the term biosimilar, uh, but really I've learned so much. Uh, and, and with that, I, I think it's actually time that we wrap this up. I mean, so thanks so much, everyone. Um, this is again, another episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilar series, and it's really drawing to a close. I hope that you have learned as much as I have. I'd also like to say a, an extremely big thank you to our esteemed guest, Naomi, for sharing her insights and knowledge on the nocebo effect. Naomi, your expertise has undoubtedly enlightened all of us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Amanda. It's it's really been an honor. I've learned so much from this podcast series, and I'm I'm very excited to be able to be a part of it. Uh, and I hope our listeners take away as much from this episode as I have from the other episodes. Oh, I'm sure they will. You know, to our audience, we hope you found this discussion as enlightening as we have. The world of biosimilars is vast and ever-evolving, and understanding phenomena like the nocebo effect is really vital in providing the best patient care. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilars podcast series. I'd also like to say thank you to Pfizer and Amgen. Without their continued support of APP education, this podcast would not be possible. Please see our show notes for learning objectives from this episode and to fill out our evaluation so we can receive feedback. Make sure you join us next time for our final biosimilar series episode as we review discussing biosimilars with patients. Remember to follow GAPCAST and RAPCAST so you don't miss an episode. Until we meet again, I'm Amanda Mixon signing off.